Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Broken Banquet, a podcast about missions. We are your hosts, Will Bailey and Dr. Ashley Goad, and we are so glad that you have joined us for another conversation about the church and missions, about what healthy mission relationships can look like, and as we hear from others who have dedicated their lives in one way or another to mission work. We're so glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Will. Hey, Ashley. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. We're recording a few intros today because we are going to be in the Holy Land soon and we wanted to get all these episodes ready to go before we go. Mm-hmm. So hopefully <laughs> so hopefully, this will air on February 27th. And on February 27th, I will be flying back from Thessaloniki, Greece, having just preached in Philippi on the 26th. (laughs) And Will, I can't tell you how excited I am about this. This is huge. Yeah, no pressure. I mean, you know, because you you can't really phone in that sermon. You better be ready uh, to step into that pulpit. Yeah, I I worked yesterday on getting all of my other teachings ready to go, and that's the one that I still have left to do. So have a few Mm. notes, but it's going to be great. I'm sure it is going to be great. That's awesome. So glad you get to do that. Um, Well, I am going to spend February the 27th walking Hmm. because that's the day that our group will be in Petra. And, uh, you know, the last time we were in the Holy Land together and we went to Jordan and went to Petra, I was, unfortunately, I have to admit my sort of ignorance here, but I just thought that Petra was the treasury, like the one that you see the building carved into the side of the mountain that was in Indiana Jones. Like that was it. I didn't realize that Petra is an entire city. I walked more that day than I think I accumulated in the whole rest of our trip, but it was, Mm. it was fantastic. I mean, my, my mind was just blown over and over again. And I can't wait to go back and watch Yolanda's mind be blown over and over again and, and the rest of our group. So I I dare you to take one of those camel chariots and uh, go flying through the the passageways. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, if that's going to be on our agenda or not. Every time I see something <laughs> like that, the first thing I think about is uh, how many more hernias I would have in my lower back. Um, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yeah, I'll probably just walk it again. Right. Yeah. Keep climbing up on those cliffs and get great photographs. Oh, right. Those are amazing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, Ashley, today's episode, uh, we interviewed Ellen Dubberly, and I've known Ellen for a long time. Ellen and her husband, Brian, are uh, in El Salvador. We've interviewed Brian already for uh, this podcast. Brian actually just spent two weeks with us here in Costa Rica, which was really cool to have him here. And there were some people from the volunteer team that was here from Kansas who had actually listened to his episode. And so they got to meet the famous Brian Dubberly in person and spend some time with him. So that was kind of cool. I mentioned in this interview that the first time I went to Costa Rica, the first few times I came to Costa Rica was with Ellen's dad, John Benson. Mm -hmm. And I was remembering that very first trip and we, it was a, it was a bunch of youth from the North Carolina conference. None of us had been out of the country before except Ellen. Um, 
the airport in San Jose, Costa Rica is a very nice airport now, <laughs> but it was not very nice 32 years ago. And we came up out of basically what was the basement and there's these gigantic floor to ceiling windows with a chain link fence behind them and people literally hanging on the chain link fence, you know, looking for their family members that are coming mm -hmm. back from the States and that kind of stuff. And it seemed very chaotic to us and was a little overwhelming to, you know, a kid from Nash County that had never really gone anywhere before. And we, we get our stuff and we come out of the airport and, and somebody says, you know, your bus is over there. And so we walked to the other end of the, the parking lot and there was the bus and somebody else said, Hey, your luggage goes over here. And so the luggage goes in the back of a pickup truck. And we all hop on the bus and traveled for about 45 minutes to the other side of San Jose, uh, where we were going to be staying. John Benson, in the meantime, would travel to Costa Rica with just a backpack. And so uh, we get to where we were staying in Tibas and I'll come sort of come tumbling out of the bus and John is standing there and just as straight faced, you know, deadpan as possible, looks at us all and says, well, so where's your luggage? And, and we said, well, it's in the pickup truck. And again, straight face says, what pickup truck? <laughs> like the pickup truck from the airport where they told us to put our luggage. He said, I didn't tell you to put your luggage in oh any pickup truck. Gosh. So at about the moment that like 15 or 20, 15 to 16 year olds are about to experience their first full on panic attack, the pickup truck pulls around the corner with our <laughs> luggage and John just dies laughing. Um, <laughs> That pretty much set the tone for what my next three or four mission trips to Costa Rica with John Benson would be like. Um, never a dull moment and definitely a lot of personal growth involved in those experiences. But I'm so thankful that I was included in that at that time. I'm glad that people are going to get to hear from Ellen today and, and hear a little bit more about what her experience was like growing up in a family that from the time she was a very small child was committed to missions and how formative that was for her. Um, like many of the other people we've talked to, not a straight line into the mission field, but mm -hmm. um, she got there and it's been wonderful to know her and to be a friend of hers and to see the things that she and Brian are doing now. Well, I was thankful to meet yet another Appalachian State alumnus. <laughs> oh, it was so good. Friends, we cannot wait to introduce to you Ellen Dubberly. Ellen Dubberly, how are you? Welcome to the Broken Banquet. Thank you. I'm doing well and happy to be here. I am so happy that you're here today, Ellen, because any time that there is an Appalachian State alumnus on the podcast, it <laughs> makes it a better day. Well, I want to introduce you guys because I've known both of you for a really long time. Ellen and I are both from Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Ellen's sort of from New Bern first, and I'm sort of from Moorhead City first. But we yeah. grew up, most of our, our growing up years were spent in Rocky Mount. And actually, the very first time I came to Costa Rica on a mission trip, it was Ellen's dad's fault. And so I kind of blame him for the course that, that my life has taken ever since. But 
I blame him too for the course my life has taken. You know, there's probably a lot of people who blame John Benson for a lot of things, um, but that's not what this episode of this podcast is about. <laughs> I am thankful for that invitation and for your friendship and for his friendship. And I'm so glad that you and Ashley get to meet each other and that our listeners get to hear about your life in mission. I know it's been a, a quite a journey with some twists and turns along the way. And so I think, why don't you just, let's get started with, uh, if you would just tell a little bit about kind of your, your background. And I know you grew up with mission trips being a part of, of your life and, and what was, life was like for your family. So can you share a little bit about that part? Yeah, I think I was in fourth grade, like my first mission trip outside of the United States. I may have been younger going on a, like a disaster relief trip to, to Florida for hurricane relief. Um, but definitely fourth grade, I think we went to Mexico that first time. And it was with my parents and I believe they led a youth mission team for the North Carolina Conference of the United Methodist Church. Both of my parents caught what we call the mission bug. Probably a year or so before they began exposing me to, to that, they chose instead of us taking family vacations, like on a cruise or something like that, our family vacations every summer was going to serve the church somewhere else in Central America and many times in Costa Rica and to help just develop the church, help our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. And I'm so thankful that my parents chose to expose me to that, weren't afraid to expose me to that because it changed my perspective in so many ways. In some ways, very difficult. After that first exposure to something different than what I had already always known, I remember uh, being in the car one afternoon after school with my mom and just crying and asking, why is it that I have what I have and others don't have the same things? Mm -hmm. And so I really struggled with the difference in, I guess, the distribution of material resources. But what, and, and I'm sure my mom helped guide me in this, but what I began to recognize was that while the families I visited in, in Central America, maybe had less material goods than I had, that they had something that I didn't. And I, at an early age, began to recognize that as faith, faith in God and a living relationship with Christ. And I, I'm very thankful for that because, of course, it has shaped my life from that point on. And, and I don't know that everybody gets that opportunity, even as an adult. I think they definitely don't. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what an amazing vision that they had for how they wanted to mm -hmm. be a family. And yeah. I just, when you were talking about that and actually jump in in a second, but I, I, something came across my newsfeed just within the last 24 hours. And it was some young person who was sort of demanding preferential treatment for something. I don't know what it was. I'm sure it was not important. 
And when they were told they couldn't, their response was, yeah, but I'm beautiful and I have 70,000 followers. Yeah, like what a contrast from what your exposure to what was important and what mattered as a fourth grader. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm sure that mentality, it just, I'm never, I've said enough already. I just think it's fantastic that, that they wanted to raise you in that and expose mm -hmm. you to that, even though it led to maybe some sort of difficult emotional moments as a child, but good, you know, yeah, yeah. good struggle with that. No, I was just going to say that, that I can't imagine that as a fourth grader. How awesome is that, that that was a part of your family's culture, that this was how you were going to spend your time together as opposed to, you know, going on vacations, which I love vacations. So don't get me wrong. They're wonderful. But, but what a great opportunity for your parents to show you these are real people. This, these are real experiences. This is how you can learn and grow and, and begin that empathetic uh, walk of life of learning about who other people are, what, what, how their faith has been developed and how they view God and, and what a great educational peace for you that that you got to grow up like that. I, I was 16 when that first happened to me. So and Mexico too. So woohoo Mexico. Um, mm -hmm. And just knowing as a 16 year old how that was so incredibly, it just shaped me of who I am today. Like I look back to that first trip to Mexico and I know I am who I am because of that trip and because of the seeds God planted and because of the people I met and because of the people who turned into family. So how awesome. And I hope that all of the listeners listening to this can start to think about just even based on that, how they can change the culture of their family what will their vacations look like? What will their trips together look like? How can they be a family in service together? How can they learn as a family together? And, you know, and we, one of the most rewarding things that I've experienced in the, all the time I've been here doing this is every once in a while, I'll get an email from a family who's been down here together as a family. And they'll say, you know, we, we love being with you guys. It was a great week. And we have decided to change the way that we spend time or to change the way that we spend money as a result of this mission trip. And I just think, holy cow, if you can get American families to reprogram a little bit that thought process, that is a win, you know? Well, and two, oftentimes when I'm I'm leading a trip of people on a pilgrimage or on our, you know, family reunion trips that I call them, um, one of the things that I say is, you know, thank goodness we're part of this group together because when you get home, you're going to want to debrief things and explore some emotions and explore some feelings and explore the experiences that you had. And what a great way that would be if it's actually your family, the people you live in a house with, that you get to do that with together. I want to add but that there were some other things that my parents did. One was that my mother had a photo in our kitchen of a woman cooking uh, over her stove, a woman in Costa Rica. And it was a very um, humble um, kitchen stove kind of situation. And that was just like this, always a constant reminder of uh, 
like um, a, a family, an extended family, even though I never met that person, but it was just always a constant reminder in the center of our home. And they chose, like you mentioned, Will, about change in the way we spend our money. They did choose like once a week to have a meal of rice and beans in solidarity with families in the countries that we were visiting and, and serving in the church. And I'm sure they did something with the money of those meals. But as a kid, I remember those things I remember, you know, and certainly marked part of my life, even though I didn't understand the big picture. Well, that's so exciting to think about how, you know, we, we get to witness weekly how moving this experience can be for families while they're here, but we don't usually know how things go after they get home. You know, we may see them again the next year, which leads us to believe it, it was a good experience and that's why they're back again. But the idea that they could incorporate little things like that into their daily life, I think it's just, it's fantastic because what it does to some degree is it kind of normalizes this. So the mission trip isn't just this thing that you do for one week out of the year. It is, it's an awareness and it is a part of who you are as a person and as a family and as a believer and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Ellen, so you started going on mission trips when you were like 10 years old, and then it was just a straight line from there right into the mission field in El Salvador, basically? (laughs) Not at all. Once I graduated high school, I think I went on one more mission trip after that. Yeah, one more. And then I was pretty much done with that. That that Mm -hmm. part of my life was closed up nice and Mm -hmm. tight. (laughs) And I was happy with that part of my life being closed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I went to university, I went to Appalachian State in Boone. <laughs> and um, my fir- freshman year, I really was kind of undecided in my major. What's interesting in processing through all of this, I went to on a trip in between my freshman and sophomore year to Columbia. And it was no longer a youth trip tagging along with my parents. It was an adult trip. One of the things on that trip, and I still was very undecided in my my major in college, and on that trip where we were working, we were beside a church that in the sanctuary were serving, like had a, a daycare serving children and families. And I have always been drawn to children Mm -hmm. since I was a kid. I always was working in the nursery at church. I was always um, serving kids. So I was drawn to observe what was going on in that setting. And I noticed some things that were done with a good heart, but that could be done in a better way Mm -hmm. Um, or really not a better way, a safer way. Mm -hmm. It's not about being better. It's about being safer and more welcoming to children. And so that is when God kind of planted this seed in my heart of wanting to have some career that would better the lives of children and specifically in Central America and specifically in like childcare settings after that. And, and that helped me determine, I talked with my father to study social work because that would be kind of a, an open door into some different things. But that was kind of the last thought of that for a while. Um, in college, right after that trip, like months after that trip, I met who Brian, who is now my husband 
And, you know, he was kind of a hippie back then. And so church, you know, was not a closed door, but it wasn't something we didn't we didn't go to church together. Let me just interrupt for a second, Ellen, just in case there's anyone who hasn't connected the dots yet. So Brian, the hippie was Brian Dubberly, who we also have interviewed uh, for this podcast. It was episode four, I think. of the Yes, podcast. indeed. So, yes, indeed. Um, so, yeah. Sorry, keep going. I went. I went to church with hippies at Appalachian State, so I, there was a lot of them. <laughs> well, I intentionally chose not to do church because there was so much. I had done so much of that mm-hmm. as a kid and a youth. You know, my parents were involved in youth group, and I, this is not to encourage to make parents be afraid to do those things. Those are wonderful things to still do, but I wanted to see what else was out there, and so right. I. Th- well, Brian was my ticket to see what else was out there, you know, <laughs> Little did but you know. <laughs> yeah, so I just kind of went on about my life. I tried to work in social work, but I wasn't seasoned enough to be really helpful in that field at the time. And just kind of after graduating from college, worked in Boone for a year, but I just had this, I don't know, an emptiness, uh, something was missing. And I remember sitting on my porch and praying, which I hadn't done in a long time. And um, after that, I decided to move back home with my mom in Rocky Mount. And I ended up teaching pre-kindergarten. And Brian ended up following me and we ended up getting married and 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 doing life. Yeah. And it wasn't too long after that that you wound up working as the director of the children's ministry at First Methodist Church in Rocky Mountain, right. Right? which yes. is the church that I grew up in and was the church that sent me to Costa Rica as a missionary. And so that, I mean, that church has been committed to missions for like 35 years now or something. Yeah, um, it's incredible. Yeah. And working in the, in children's ministry at the church, it was just another step in, in a path that I didn't realize I was completely on. Like it was not planned out. I did not have a, a goal in mind of where I was going. It was almost like, following the wind and following where my heart was leading me. And as it led me to a next step, I would just kind of take that next step of faith into the next place I felt like going. And God used my time in children's ministry in Rocky Mount at First Methodist to get a master's in Christian education, to get some education to help me uh, a better foundation in that area. And some good Bible study through Bible study fellowship to help strengthen tools I needed later on when I would be more on my own in the mission field. There was just a lot of things that that was a part of my journey. Yeah. I want to take a detour just for a second and we'll come back to, to sort of the next stage, but you just said something that reminded me of something that Stefania, um, Alexandrescu said she's the missionary that we interviewed in Romania. And at some point during her interview, when she was talking about her discernment process, she realized that these decisions that she was kind of holding up in front of her, do I go this way or do I go that way? And the tendency for us is which of these two ways does God want me to go? Mm -hmm. And what she felt in that moment was God saying, you can go either one of these two directions and I'm going to be with you. And that's Mm -hmm. so counter to the whole mentality of like, God has a plan for your life, you know? Um, And, and this idea that, like you said, you were just sort of going with the wind 
but with the confidence that there's there is something someone however you want to put it that is guiding you and is with you you know i just think that's so refreshing and i mean i can i wish someone had said that to me when i was a senior in college trying to figure out how to faithfully take the next step in a way that wasn't going to be like disobedient for the plan that God had for my life. And I wish they had just said, no, you numbskull. If you move to California to work on sailboats, it doesn't mean that God's not going to be with you. And if you stay in North Carolina to do something else, it doesn't mean that God's not going to be with you. So anyway, I just wanted to point that out because I really appreciated it when, when Stefania said it that way. And it sounded to me like you're sort of echoing that same sort of sentiment. I wholeheartedly agree with that and have had that exact conversation with God um, at a point of a decision really about being ordained. And he said, you know, I'm good either way. You can serve me either way. And so I went with what felt right to me. (laughs) That is awesome. Yeah. I'm going to say, though, that the time, those six days at the University of Georgia when I was studying political science, it's not that God wasn't with me in that, but I was miserable knowing that that was not maybe part of the plan that God had. Yeah, I'm not saying that there are no wrong choices. There are wrong choices. <laughs> but it doesn't always come down to just, you know, A or B, pick one. Yeah, and, exactly. and the other one was wrong. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. So Ellen, there was a period of time when you were working at the church in Rocky Mount and Brian had come to Costa Rica and had spent six months working with us. And then Brian and I had gone with your dad to El Salvador to kind of check out things there. And then Brian wound up being invited by the church in El Salvador to move and to start helping coordinate their volunteers. So How long of a period of time was that that Brian was living in El Salvador, you were in Rocky Mount, and he was sort of back and forth for a while? And Yeah, it was three and a half years. Three and a half years. And most people who meet us now, and we explain, you know, I mean, the question is, how long have you lived in El Salvador? Mm -hmm. And of course, he's had, you know, three and a half years longer than I. So they assume we weren't married then, but we were, you know, and we were not seeking to not be married. We were happily married, you know, that was just a commitment to each other and to where, how God maybe was developing some things in each of us Mm -hmm. um, to help in that journey. It would, it would not work, I don't think for every um, married couple, but it was it. But it would have led to disaster if we both went at the same time. Uh-huh. You know, we would not have made it in our relationship if we had both gone when Brian first went. That is next level long distance relationship. I mean, I, you know, Yolanda and I for ten months when I was in my last year of seminary, she was in Costa Rica, and I got to come down here once to see her. And if we wanted to talk, I would call the public payphone that was across the street from the school that the kids that she was nannying went to because there was no phone in the house where she was living. And, and I thought that was, you know, asking a lot. But I mean, three and a half years, that's, that's wow. pretty amazing. And you've talked to me before about your response to Brian when he was feeling like he was being called into the mission field. Um, and I think that it plays into how you guys were able to to endure that three and a half years. So do you want to you want to? Yeah, when when, you know, when it was when he expressed to me that he was being called 
to go to El Salvador. And I don't even know if, if, if the way he expressed that was like an invitation for both of us to do that. But it wasn't, I wasn't excluded from that, but I just knew that wasn't my call at that time. Mm-hmm. I was, I still had some unfinished business in North Carolina. So I told him, I totally support you in following God's plan where he's calling you, but that's not where I'm being called right now. And so I felt like my um, responsibility and that my answer to God and that was to stay and to be faithful and allow him to kind of go out and explore what that, what going to El Salvador meant for our family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we we thought it would be three months there, three months in the U.S., but quickly realized it was a more permanent thing. And I'm so thankful as an individual in a marriage that I got, that God gave me and my husband gave me the opportunity to discern my way through that and discern mm-hmm. my own call, to hear where God was calling me because my heart would not have been in it the same way if I if we had not taken the time to let me hear where God was calling me. Yeah. What a what a testament to your faithfulness to God and God's faithfulness to you and your faithfulness to Brian and Brian's faithfulness to you. Mm-hmm. Like that's just the it's the definition of faithfulness and commitment to one another and to walking with each other through tension, to walking with each other through discernment, to walking with each other through decision-making. Oh, just, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't easy. Um, There were hard moments, sure, but there were less of those moments that were so difficult, which it, it, you know, the time strangely enough goes quickly in that. And I knew that for me was confirmation that it was okay, that we were not both in the same place doing the same thing the confirmation for me was that it did not hurt so much. And I knew that that was God helping us through it. So at some point uh, you started to consider joining Brian in El Salvador. Um, at, At what point did that happen? Well, when he first went, I was completely, I was in the middle of working on my master's in Christian education. And so I had that wonderful like reason (laughs) to not go yet. And I think once I completed that probably was when I began to know I needed to get serious about making a decision. The church where I worked uh, gave me um, the gift of like six weeks to go to El Salvador to see what it felt like to live there, to discern where God had me to be. Mm -hmm. I was very skeptical about what a process of discernment would be like because I had not done that in in an intentional way before. I now can see, yeah, I was discerning my way through life, but, and listening to God's voice, seeking God's voice in that, but it wasn't intentional and I didn't have those words to it. I was able to pray through the Psalms and felt very much God speaking to me. And um, Brian and I, I had rode with Brian to pick up, pick up someone from the airport who ended up being, um, the area executive, I think that's how it's called, from Global Ministries, the General Board of Global Ministries, who is now like my direct connection to 
the general board of global global ministries and we we had a conversation in the car he kind of you know just polite small talk of what i was doing there getting to know a little bit about me and i shared that i was um leading a training for sunday school teachers he began to ask questions and realized that I had that I was a licensed Christian educator in the Methodist Church, and that was a skill that they were looking for to match to El Salvador. And so God opened that door um, of a place of a calling, a specific calling for me in El Salvador, a specific job for me to have, and that's really what opened my heart to wanting to come. I hope that any churches that are listening to that, any mission committees, any senior pastors, any church staff members that are listening to that story, know how important it is to be tuned into your congregation, to your uh, fellow staff members, your peers, the just your faith family, your flock, and to see who is trying to discern a call like this and how to be encouraging and supportive of that. Like six weeks, that is such an amazing time to be able to go and to not feel like you're in a rush that you're just going to be getting your toe wet, you know, but, but to actually go and to spend time and to be, and to be part of that community and to really ask God what is next. I, I hope that people hear that and know that, oh, what a supportive and wonderful thing that is for cultivating uh, ministry and other people. You know, we've we've talked already on, in other episodes about the gift of time, giving yeah. time to mm-hmm. missionaries, and that sort of it, it looks like different things in different situations. Yeah. But I think what a wonderful, yeah, what a wonderful gift, gift that they time. gave you was that time to mm-hmm. to to feel that out. Ellen, you mentioned the general board, and for those of those listeners who aren't uh, didn't grow up Methodist, that is the sort of the big missions umbrella for the United Methodist Church. And so you are connected to the general board. Um, Can you talk a little bit, I think this is a good place to sort of transition into uh, a lot of what we talk about on this podcast is mission relationships and healthy mission relationships and what those look like and that kind of thing. So can you give us a little bit of an idea of um, what, kinds of churches you're connected to, what those connections look like. Uh, We know that Brian is really involved with hosting volunteer teams that come down, but that's not really the focus of what you're doing there. So can you, can you talk a little bit about what those relationships look like in your case? So I work with the general board of global ministries and you, and just to just a really fast about the Methodist church is it wouldn't be, you know, the, the general board has different little areas. And one of them is the, the missions wing of that. Um, and through that, it's a way that churches can connect with missions. Um, it's not the only way, but it is a way that they can connect with missions. And so I've had churches that kind of choose to support me as their missionary. We call it a covenant relationship, mm-hmm. which means that, you know, the covenant is that they, that we choose to support each other, you know, that it goes both ways, not just me only sending updates or not just them only sending a check, but that there is an intentional relationship building that happens in that. And it happens through praying for each other, 
whether it's me being intentional to send, to be vulnerable and send out ways that I need people praying for me or things that are going on here, or that it's taking time to listen and pay attention to what's going on with people in the supporting churches. For example, in, in January, um, one of the ladies at one of the churches that supports me had a surgery on January 3rd. And it was so special to get to pray, you know, for her during that season. And my father had a surgery the same day and to ask for her family to be praying for my father. And that's a connection that wouldn't have happened any other way. So, but also there's, I've been able to connect um, with churches, you know, far away. One in particular that chose to support me about a year ago is a church in Oregon, in um, Newburgh, Oregon. And home of George Fox University. Yes, yes. It's, I, I heard that on one of the episodes and I said to Brian, I think that's in Newburgh because I did ride past that several times. They, one of the things that was important to that church was to get for me to come visit them. It seemed like kind of an impossible thing, but this October I got to visit that church what made that trip different as far as like, how did it, how was that interaction different than maybe a church in Georgia or, or North Carolina? Like what made that different? Some of it, just the cultural, there's some cultural differences, you know, that was interesting to me. Um, and that mixed in not with just being a good old Southern girl, but also being this strange character that's lived in El Salvador for this length of time. And um, for different reasons, I mean, I didn't, I have not left El Salvador. I've not traveled outside of El Salvador much. So, I mean, there's total culture shock. Um, that's a little different maybe in my home place where there were some connections I already knew. Um, on this most recent trip to visit churches, I've, I was intentional to visit churches who are new to supporting me that I haven't met in person yet because that's important to me. I, it's difficult for me to have a good connection with a church unless I have met them face to face in person. Right. Video um, conversations like this help a lot, but it's just not the same. And I don't think it's the same for the church either. Mm-hmm. And um, so to go to Oregon was really cool. My, I got to see so many different things that I hadn't seen and be exposed to maybe a different way of thinking about things than I had been to, exposed to before. Um, but the, I stayed with a family in the church. They welcomed me into their home. We ate meals together every day. I think I was there maybe four, four nights. Uh Oregon, one thing that's really special to them in their home is, you know, that they live right near a lot of vineyards. Mm -hmm. And so they arranged to take me around to um, tour several vineyards. And they invited some of their really good friends who are also members in the church. And so it was just a whole day of spending time unstructured, no agenda, just hanging out. And that was really nice. Yeah. Ellen, this is it. This is absolutely it. So, so 
our mission culture at this church completely changed when we started being family together. So anytime that I have people coming with me on a trip to visit a missionary, they always ask, what are we going to do? And I say, well, what do you do when you go see family? You eat together, you play together, you catch up, you learn more about each other, you just spend time together. And a lot of that happens around a table or going somewhere and doing something, but you spend time together. It's all about the, the project is being together. And that's it. And and what happened was that as we started doing that more and more, I knew that our whole church, our 4,000 members, were not going to be able to go to New Zealand or to Costa Rica or to Russia, but we could start having the missionary come here. And that's exactly what we do here is they come, they stay at one of our homes or a couple, they trade homes maybe throughout the week. And we eat together, we play together, we do church together, worship together. But it's not meant to be come and report to us and give us what you have, or let's go build something like a, you know, let's go build a house together. But no, let's just be together and be a part of the kingdom of God. Worship together, live together. Ellen, I love it. (laughs) Wonderful. But it's uncomfortable and it's different than, than what is usually done. And so there is, because when I, I felt uncomfortable going um, to the different churches I visited because I knew that when I got there that there were certain expectations of me that I wasn't ready to meet yet because I didn't know them well enough yet to know what those expectations were. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, often when a missionary visits, you know, the thought is you have a little like song and dance or a little show that you share and and that's nice. And then you pack it away and then that's done. And then you move, and then the missionary moves to the next thing and the church moves to the next right. thing. But I, I, it is my personality just to show up and just to be there open to the experience as uncomfortable as that feels. And I had my little tools in my bag prepared for when the time came to share my song and dance but so much more comes from that time of just being with each other and taking time to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. But it's it, we do have to be a little intentional to, to, to plan that time. Right. And I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would imagine the way that you think about that church now is completely different than the way that you thought about them before your like that relationship has been completely redefined just because you spent four days just being there with them. Mm-hmm. I yeah, hope you completely. Are hearing that? Yeah, I mean, I went there to meet to to complete strangers, but when I left, you know, I left with family, and and the lady who hosted me just hugged me that morning and said, "You are now family." That's yeah. awesome. That's so That's good. Awesome. That's so good. Another special thing about that visit in Oregon was the particular, it was the last Sunday in October. And so it happened to be All Saints Sunday. And which I didn't realize it. Oh gosh, I just kind of go through life like (laughs) really fast and don't always slow down to think ahead about what's happening. And so I didn't realize it until that Sunday, but my 
my journey began on World Communion Sunday, where mm-hmm. I got to help share communion at the church or help serve and help um, pray the Lord's Prayer in a variety of languages, you know, and then my journey ended on All Saints Sunday. And that church, the way they celebrate All Saints Sunday is to read out the names of Mm -hmm. people in the congregation that have passed away Mm -hmm. um, within that year. And they invited me to share names of um, people who have passed away in that past year in El Salvador. And it was very meaningful to me because, and it just was really, I don't think it hit me until we were in worship and in that moment. But the names that were read were people who had been instrumental in my journey in El Salvador, you know, mama types. And so to be able to honor them in that way with a church that is supporting me and to be just, I don't know, it's like an innermost part of you being acknowledged and an and a innermost part of the bigger picture of God's family being acknowledged in a really special way. It just meant a lot. And to know that names, because I'd spent the day before visiting vineyards with some of the people um, in that church, I knew that one of the names on that list was someone who had died that weekend. And was a really close friend of one of the people that was on that vineyard tour. And so that created another connection, too, um, that would not have happened if we hadn't taken that unstructured time just to be, just a fellowship. Yeah. One of the things that I have sort of been challenging some, some clergy friends of mine with recently is how do we incorporate mission your church's vision for mission and commitment to mission into worship and liturgy? Mm -hmm. How do we make it part of what it means for your congregation to gather together and worship God? How is an acknowledgement of your commitment to being Christ's witnesses, even to the ends of the earth, part of worship? And, It's not real easy, but that on All Saints Sunday to include the names of brothers and sisters from El Salvador who have passed away during that year and make that part of their worship service, they they did, they nailed it. And I just, man, I'm so thankful that you experienced it and that you've shared it because now it gives me, it's a gift to me because now I have a specific example when I'm talking Mm -hmm. to these people and saying, how do you do this? Well, here's one way you do it. Here's one Sunday of the year, at least where you can do it. And if you can do it on one Sunday, what are the ways you can do it all the other Sundays? I just, what a blessing to have, have had everything line up in such a way that that was a part of your introduction into this church family. That's just fantastic. And what better imagery than being at a vineyard? Because absolutely doesn't this completely illustrate John chapter 15 of I'm the vine and you grow the branches. And no matter if that branch is growing in El Salvador, if it's growing in Costa Rica, if it's growing in Shreveport, if it's growing in Newburgh, Oregon, that we are all connected because we abide in the same vine. Oh, beautiful. 
another thing that happened while I was there, you know, another church I got to visit. One of the things I got to do was go visit um, to actually serve in their soup kitchen. And that was pretty cool, too, to get to a sonic experience I've had with one of the churches who support me. Mm -hmm. And that was neat to participate in the missions in their home community as a missionary to not just be about what I'm doing, but to participate in where God's calling them to be in their local community Mm -hmm. was really neat too. Mm -hmm. And what a perfect way to sort of push back against the, there's a mentality sometimes that, you know, it's, it's more exciting to go to Central America or to Africa or to Asia on a mission trip than it is to go to the soup kitchen. And so a lot of times, and in the the interview we did with Hunter Farrell, he talked about churches, teams of volunteers flying over, literally flying over the poorest communities that surround their church on their way to somewhere else to go and serve. And you have to give that some thought. But if we as missionaries can validate in the local church how important we think the local missions that they are a part of are and how important it is for there to be balance. You know, I always ask the new teams that come to work with us, tell me about the local missions that you guys do. And sometimes they have wonderful answers. And sometimes you you, you just hear crickets chirping. And I think, ooh, if this is it, if this is all you do, then that's not sustainable. That is not a healthy vision for mission. So uh, what a gift that you gave to that local church to be able to say, yeah, what I'm doing in El Salvador is here's what we do. And it's exciting. We'd love for you to be a part of it. But what you are doing in your backyard is just as, that's the first part of Acts 1-8 mm-hmm. is be my witness in Jerusalem. Um, so yeah, that's great that you got to do that. And, and when we've taken mission trips from mm-hmm. Costa Rica to the United States, that's what we do. We take people from here to be part of your local missions in your Jerusalem. And then when you come here, that's the ends of the earth for you. But this is our Jerusalem. So we're maintaining that balance. Mm -hmm. That remains one of my favorite weeks in my ministry here at First Methodist is when the Costa Rica team came and served in Treeport for the week. And oh, what a what a joyful time that was. Mm -hmm. We should do that again. We should do that again. So, Ellen, when we talked to to Brian in episode four, um, he mentioned the work or the role that you play at the school there in Awachapan, the Methodist school. So tell us a little bit about what your your work is there. Um, I teach English um, to the students that are at the Methodist school here in Awachapan. I serve um well, we're in between school years, so I'm not sure how many students I'll be serving this year. But last year in 2022, I taught 540 students English. Oh so it's kind God. of a crazy. 540? Yeah. yeah, it's really crazy. And hopefully I'm going to have a co-teacher this year to, to help. Just one? Um, how about like eight co-teachers? That would be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> but so they get, you know, I get to be like a specials teacher and go into uh-huh. the classrooms um, and share some English language with them because it's really important. It's um, for kids to have an exposure to English as a world language. It opens doors later on for um, maybe some different education opportunities and definitely for some different work opportunities 
here in El Salvador. And so it's, and it just opens, expands the mind and all those wonderful things. So um, I get to teach English, but I really, it's um, a ministry because I get to spend time with the kids and getting to know, that's kind of my connection to the community outside of the church walls and getting to know their families and finding ways that we can be in service to them or, or encourage the kids and how God is working in their lives. And, you know, in our world, so many kids are not exposed to, even though El Salvador means the Savior. And so probably I think everybody's heard the name of Jesus Christ, but they don't necessarily have, um, understand even the possibility of like a living relationship, a living friendship with this God. And so hopefully, even in the school setting, I get to help um, maybe develop some of that with the children that I serve. That's awesome. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, Ellen, I'm so thankful to meet you. Since I didn't meet you 20 years ago in Boone, North Carolina, I'm very thankful to meet you over this podcast and get to know your heart and your story. And I'm actually going to be in El Salvador in May. I'll be in San Salvador, so I know that's a, a hot minute from you, but um, I'll be there. So maybe if we can, maybe we can figure out a time to hook up and have a pupusa or something. That'd be great. That would be wonderful. I'd love to meet you in person and I would, it would be worth the effort to get to San Salvador. Yeah. It'd be worth the effort just to have a pupusa. Yeah. Truth. I can get a pupusa pretty close to home. Oh, yeah. That's true. Uh, well, Will, Ellen, Ellen, Will, this has been a fabulous time again on The Broken Banquet. Ellen, we're so thankful that you joined us. Um, we're, we would love to have you back anytime. Don't tell Brian that because I don't know if we gave him that offer or not. But but we'd love to have you back anytime. And uh, Will and I have really enjoyed it. So thank you for sharing with our listeners uh, here at The Broken Banquet. Will, I hope you have a great day. Thanks, Ashley. You too. And Ellen, say hello to everyone there for us. I will. Bye, Ellen. Bye, Ashley. Bye. Bye, y'all. You've been listening to The Broken Banquet, a podcast by Will Bailey and Ashley Goad. Music provided by Irene and the Sleepers. Join us next week for another episode. He's prepared the table. All things are ready. Come to the feast. Come to the feast.